Hello and welcome to What Is My Podcast About, Wimpy Bite Edition. Uh, today we are actually going to be following up on the next JoJo arc. Uh, my name is Keith and as always I am joined by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Peter Akerley. Hey. So we are finally into what is the largest JoJo arc, Stardust Crusaders Part 3. Uh, what was your guys' first impression overall? It was meteor. It was it was harder to take a wimpy bite out of Stardust Crusaders yeah. than it was uh, Battle Tendency. There was a lot to uh, have punched into your face, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of shakeups to the series that become staples because of Stardust Crusaders. This is where yeah. I think where a lot of people consider the main JoJo stuff starts happening. To be fair, this also was a source of so many great fucking JoJo memes that I oh, kind of love getting through. Like the fucking. To jump right to the end of the fucking story, the, oh, you're walking towards me? I can't kick your ass unless I get closer to you. Well, then by all means, come closer. And the yes. whole, this must be the work of an enemy stand. Yeah. yeah. The stands are the big thing that are the main staple. Like, JoJo requires a stand now at this point. Like, you can't mm -hmm. make it without having some sort of stand abilities within the series. Uh, so this one, our new JoJo is Jotaro Kujo, who is the grandson of Joseph who is really the first Jojo to not die at a young age. Yep. So uh, Joseph's daughter Holly ends up going to Japan, marries uh, a man who is a musician who travels around a lot. So don't worry about him. He's not in the story, and he never shows up in the story. Literally is never once addressed and in the story. This is also moving forward within the Jojo timeline. We never get... I don't think there's an official image of Jotaro's father. I'm willing to accept that. I, I literally care nothing for Jotaro's father. Yeah. So Jotaro Kujo uh, is kind of your Japanese delinquent who wears hats and chains and had massive for a student. Yep. And essentially, we open up to Joseph is coming to Japan because Holly is sent for help because Jotaro is acting really weird. And he's locked himself in a police cell and refuses to leave because he's possessed by an evil spirit. Yeah. Even the police want him out, but he's not leaving. Yeah. He refuses to leave. Yeah, we end up finding out that this is a stand power as uh, Joseph ends up showing him and he brought his friend Abdul, who also has one of these ghost powers. Uh, his yeah. is Magician Red. It creates fire. Yeah, it's just giant firebird. Uh, Joseph, we end up finding out, has one called Hermit Purple, which is a bunch of vines, which can also take spirit photography, which is it can take photos of things. It can yeah. see distant worlds. It can draw maps of cities super accurately. It's used for kind of like divination type stuff. It tells you yeah. the truth of the world. Yeah, and then we find out that Jotaro, his one is essentially Star Platinum, which is really strong and very accurate. But because it's really strong, it's restricted to being really close to him. Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of rules we get about stands to explain this moving forward. Uh, only stand users can see other stands. Stands cannot interact with people, which that one fucking goes out the window pretty quickly itself. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we kind of give up on that rule. Not yeah. very far now, into there, the there are some exceptions to the rules which do get explained with this, but in general, the concept that in general, if you're going into something, unless it's a boss or a unique situation, usually one stand per person, it has a very distinct ability that can only be used under certain distances, it has speed, strength, like it has all the stats. Yeah. Uh, you guys watch the anime, so it even does those little pop-up stats of the grids in all the situations. Which it does not explain in English, so I have no yeah. fucking clue what the actual <laughs> They're, they're just were. in Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, the main kind of rule we get is that the stronger a stand is, the closer it has to be kept to its user. So... Super powerful stands can't get far away from their user, whereas kind of more utility and less powerful stands can go as far as you fucking want them to. Yeah. And some of those exceptions that you end up seeing without this, uh, throughout the series is their strength, which is a giant boat that people can see and get on, and it acts just like a boat. 
And even non-stand users can see. Yeah, Wheel of Fortune, which is a card that other people can see as well. Uh, but there's some fun thought processes behind this. Uh, but, for example, no one's going to see Star Platinum unless they're a stand user. And most of those things aren't going to be able to interact with people directly, which also is not 100% true. Because <laughs> things do change a bit throughout the story. And also, while we're told that they can't really interact with people, they can 100% uh, interact with the physical world. Because our first fucking introduction to a stand is a stand pickpocketing a gun off of a police officer yeah. and then shooting the gun at Jojo's head and him catching the bullet with his stand. So stands, it's arguable whether they can interact with normal people who can't see stands. They can fucking 100% interact with physical objects. Yeah, and there's a few things that do change stand users going forward uh, and also it changes throughout this arc itself. Usually, uh, so when we first introduce stands, they're named by tarot cards Yes. That goes away once we get to the second half and it doesn't ever come back again. Yeah. Because you're pretty limited if you were just, oh, it's just tarot cards. Yeah. Essentially, we're told that there's like 13 uh, stands possible in the entire universe. And then once those 13 are found, there's no more stands if we're using the tarot card naming system. So they go away with that and start naming them after Egyptian gods and other stuff. Yeah. So the inciting incident of this is, for some reason... Uh, both Joseph and Jotaro have waken up these powers. And Joseph, while doing some of his uh, investigating stuff, has discovered, oh, Dio is back. The one who killed my great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather. And he has taken his body and because he gave himself stand powers and we're tied to the bloodline, the bloodline is calling it to us to stop him by giving us his powers. But it's not just affecting them, it's also affecting Holly, who collapsed because she is not a strong-willed person, I guess, because stands are manifestations of will. And hers is either it's so strong that it's overpowered powering her physically because she doesn't have the muscles of a Jojo, <laughs> or she's just not that strong-willed. Yeah, she's so weak-willed. I think they explain it in a way it's like she doesn't have the will to fight, whereas she might be strong-willed or whatever, but it, she doesn't have the will to fight, so she can't overpower her stand and control it. So instead, her stand ends up controlling her. Yeah, so... Yeah. And so uh, she's just bedridden for the rest of the arc. And they know that they're getting these stand powers because of the fact that Dio has taken a Jojo's body and that they're all spiritually linked as Jojo's. So they know that they have to go kill Dio in order to prevent her from dying as a part of her connection to the Dio bloodline. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And at first Jotaro's like, well, whatever. Not really a thing. But then he's getting attacked at school by Kakuin who ends up uh, a new transfer student. Seems very creepy at times. Yep. And he ends up attacking uh, Jojo and is trying to kill him because we find he's working for Dio. They have a fight. We are introduced to his stand, which is Hermit Green. Uh, he's going to hit him with the Emerald Splash and it's undodgeable. Guess what? It's always dodgeable. Hierophant Green. Yeah. Uh, Hermit is... Hermit, Hermit Green. Oh, yeah, Hierophant Green, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, we're told very early that Emerald Splash is completely undodgeable. And then we see nothing but people dodging it for the rest of the series. <laughs> uh, so... We find out that Dio has a new power, which are, I can't remember what they're called, because it's such a non-thing that only comes up very, uh, but the spikes that go into their foreheads. Oh, uh, flesh buds. Flesh buds, yeah. Mm. That if he injects into the person, they can turn them evil, and they only want to work for him. We do kind of find out later that Kakuin kind of willingly joined Dio out of fear, and then was given the flesh bud and sent to go kill Jotaro. See, it's a really funny thing where people will willingly join Dio... And he kind of puts the flesh bud in them as an insurance policy of this will kind of control you and also if you ever act directly against my will, it'll pierce your brain and fucking kill you. 
So it's his way of kind of forcing stand users who aren't allies with him to work for him. He puts one in Kakuin, which doesn't quite fit because Kakuin willingly joined up with him. Kind of out of fear, but still willingly did it. But then we find, like, later on, it kind of becomes, like, a bit of a thing where, like, they discover other stand users who have flush butts and they're like, oh, he wasn't actually doing this. He's not an evil person. So they pull it out. They save his life. But then they find other flush uh, stand users and they don't have the flush button. They're like, oh, so this person was just straight up evil. It's just like, why didn't Dio still put a flush button in even if they're straight up evil? Just <laughs> as an insurance policy like he did with Kakyoin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, we find out too that he tried to do this with Abdal as well, where he went to meet with him and then Abdal managed to get out. Yes, because Avdal had already heard stories of Dio's escapade, so... Well, Avdal also already had a stand at this point, because we yes. do find out that stands... This this doesn't really reveal how stands become a thing, so I'm not going to touch on it, because that's more of a plot of the fourth arc, which is after this one. But essentially, Dio does something that activates a stand power within him, and it passes on to the other JoJo's, but there are people who just naturally get stand power without being given to them by Dio. Yeah. And Avdol was, was one of those people. It was my understanding that most of the people who were working for Dio weren't actually given their stand power by Dio. There were other stand users that he had tracked down to work for him. And they were just so afraid of him or so in awe of him that they were willing to work for him. Yeah. Uh, essentially, uh, I believe... I know Enya, uh, Centerfold, and... I know those two for sure had their powers before Dio uh, was recruiting them. Oh, yeah. Because um, Centerfold used his to kill... Another person's sister, who we get introduced just after the fight yeah, with Kakuin. sister. Uh, and Enya is the mother. Uh, she's actually the one who gives Dio the powers, specifically. Yeah. Which, uh, when we get to the next part, you'll find out the whole situation. But it's a lot of people that work for Dio got their powers from this situation. Though there are people who develop it naturally, and those tend to be the stronger stand users, because they just kind of developed it out of force of will. Yeah, and they're more along the lines of... They're more along the lines of the people who joined Dio willingly because yeah. they were so in awe of his strength. Like, uh, for example, both Darbies joined and they already had their powers. They yeah. got it yeah. And the uh, in the second half of the arc, the first stand user whose stand is named by God, the blind dude. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, uh, mo- most of the back half uh, stand users, the ones that have the God names, yeah. most of them develop their powers beforehand. Yeah. And that's why they're in such high regard, because they're so powerful. Uh, so, with Holly being in danger and Jotaro using his precision accuracy with Star, uh, Star Platinum to save Kakuin, they end up deciding they want to go on a journey to go stop him. They know he's in Egypt. They have to travel there. Well, we also got to talk about the way they figure out he's in Egypt. Because uh, Hermit Purple allows him to take pictures of Dio wherever he is in the world. But he keeps staying in such, like a dark room that they can never get enough context clues to figure out where he is. But then he takes one picture of Dio. They're looking at the Polaroid. It's just got like a fucking black background. And then then Star Platinum looks at it and uses a pencil to draw a fucking fly on the background that you can't see because it's a pure black picture. And he's like, oh, that fly exists only near the Nile. So he's clearly in Egypt. That's the logic of how they figure out he's in Egypt. Yep. Star Platinum is very precise with everything. And nothing else. No other powers. <laughs> to the point where, like, when they go scouting later on in the movie, or not in the movie, in the series, they just fucking give Jojo fucking binoculars that he holds up to Star Platinum's face <laughs> so that he can look through the binoculars to see shit in the distance. <laughs> now, an interesting thing I thought of at first when this was happening, because the first time I went through this, I didn't have the wealth of knowledge of stands going forward. I thought Star Platinum was going to be a, like his spirit guardian, which was actually going to be Jonathan. 
Ooh, hmm. that'd be neat. Because they had very similar like uh, schemes to themselves design wise. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's did Jonathan come back as a ghost to help him, and that's what it was going to be. It turned out not to be the thing, but it was a really cool idea when it was a thought process at the beginning. Yeah, because then we would have. Well, actually, to be fair, we do have all three JoJo's at present in this arc. Yes, we have. Uh, Joseph in the form of old man Jojo. We have Cujo as the form of young man Jojo. And we have Jonathan as the form of corpse being inhabited by Dio's head. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they decide they have to travel to Egypt, but they can't take normal means because, well, first off, taking aside the fact that Joseph can't get on any type of flight without it crashing for some reason. He's literally never once been on a flying vehicle without it fucking crashing. In fact, every flying vehicle you're going to see him on, except for the end of this story, crashes. Yeah. He gets on multiple fucking flying vehicles in this series, and they all fucking crash. Some uh, of them being his fault. Some of them being <laughs> fucking Kakyoin's fault. Yeah. Well, one well, specifically yeah. being kind of Kakyoin's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, they end up on their way to Egypt, getting encountered by multiple standees they have to fight off. Some with some weird powers, some with some straightforward powers that just straight up combat. The thing that... I like about this is even though the story kind of devolves into a monster of the week type scenario, which ends up becoming a bit of a JoJo problem moving forward, but all the stands had different ways of resolving them and not so much we just have to beat them. Uh, One of the ones I can think of uh, right off the bat that had something different they had to do specifically was Centerfold. Because Centerfold, they had to figure out exactly what his power was. He's the hangman was his one. Yeah. And he exists in a reflected universe, so... You can only see him in reflections. Well, no, that's that's incorrect. He's light. Right, he's light, and he travels from reflected surface to reflected surface. Yeah, so So he's not in a mirror world, he's jumping between mirrors. So if you can see Mm -hmm. him in something, it's impossible to hit him while he's traveling because he's light and travels so fast, but if you know the path he's going to take, you can swing as he's taking it and still hit him and hurt him. Yeah, so the first leg of their trip is they have to go by boat, Uh, they end up meeting Polnareff, uh, in a restaurant who ends up like, ah, I'm actually one of Dio's people. Turns out he wasn't. He just had the, uh, another one of the buds inside of his head. Ends up joining them as well. Because he wants to actually kill Centerfold specifically for killing his daughter. Uh, his, not daughter, his sister. His, his sister, yeah. yeah. So they go place to place, fight to fight. The, a lot of it's just kind of showing off what stands can do and what can't do. Uh, the moon stand, I believe, is the f- uh, one on the boat they end up fighting. The, the, the boat was strength. No, no, not no. the uh, the boat. The one that was on a boat with them. I think that was the uh, the dark blue moon. Is yeah, the, okay, yeah. The one they fight underwater after trying to travel by boat. Right, yeah. Because the crew's been replaced by an evil crew. Well, one guy specifically was replaced. Uh, and my favorite thing about this whole reveal, too, is because where uh, Jonathan would have just called someone out and like done the gentleman thing and just waited until something happened, like a detective... Joseph would be the person who would trick the people when they're doing exactly what we find out Jotaro's skill as a Jojo is just bluffing his way through any goddamn thing he needs to. We've realized that Jotaro's main ability is his ability to, like, and it's even called out by one of the stand users later on, his best skill is his ability to remain cool under pressure to the point where, like, he'll just lie about some shit and be so fucking calm about it that everyone's like, oh, no, he's being serious right now. Like the fact that apparently stand users' noses twitch when they smell smoke, so he managed to figure out who the stand user was. Except that's not a thing, but the captain absolutely covered his nose when he heard that. He's like, oh, no, is that real? And it's like, you're the fucking stand user. We fucking know now. <laughs> because only a stand user would have known what I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, but right after that uh, is the strength fight immediately, mm-hmm. which is a uh, monkey. So this also establishes, oh, animals can also have stands. Because yeah. this monkey just runs this boat completely. <laughs> 
And this is one of the stands that breaks the rule because normal people can see the stand and it interacts with people. So I think the reason that normal people can see the stand though is it's not just the manifest manifestation of the stand. Like, like the, the stand st- doesn't create the boat. It's the, like stand the stand manipulates took- a rowboat and turns it into the fucking full boat. Yeah. yeah. It's like we even see that later on with the Wheel of Fortune car. Yeah, so there's stands that are essentially their whole ability is interacting with a physical object. So in process, by interacting with that object, that makes them physically visible. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, so they're not creating a physical ev- object. And not necessarily everything is visible from it, but it does make the object itself visible. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the funny things about Wheel of Fortune, which is the car, there was the joke uh, when that whole thing happened that like people seeing Wheel of Fortune uh, that don't have stand powers, you just see a guy sitting there in midair just floating as the car drives by. <laughs> Okay, sitting there and fucking just the weirdest fucking body because he's he's got a strange body the Wheel of Fortune used it. Yeah, so he's got these massive fucking arms. He looks like a big tough guy. But then you look at the rest of his body and he's just got like little piddly like twig body with uh, massive fucking arms. Also, this is another one of those situations of Jotaro just like bluffing his way through things because he just decides, you know what, fuck it, I'm standing against this car. He fights a car. Yeah. He gets lit on fire and the fucking Wheel of Fortune's like, I didn't. He's like, nope, you just lit my jacket on fire and now I'm going to punch you in the stomach because that's where you're weak. It's fun stuff. Uh, one of my favorite things that we get introduced, though, because of uh, our more information with Joseph, is just Joseph's response to a lot of things. Because we get so many things like, oh my god! Holy, holy shit! shit. Nope, I fucking hated that. <laughs> it was it wasn't so bad in the early part of the series, but as you go later on, it starts building up more and more. It's just like I hate everything about this. Now I can't help but love it because it is what introduced me to all of JoJo. Was just a clip of Joseph looking at his shot canteen and saying, "Holy shit." <laughs> Yeah, that was during the sun battle, which yeah. was probably the most anticlimactic thing. Because my favorite part about this is they're all sitting in a hole, and then all of a sudden, just they start laughing, and Joseph's like, oh no, they've all gone crazy. What am I going to do? They've all got heat strokes. They've got the sun madness. What the fuck's going to happen? It's because Kakumi noticed that a rock was reflected. He's like, oh no, don't be stupid. There's a freaking mirror there. Yeah. Uh, now, let's focusing purely on the front half, which is their journey to Egypt. Were there any stand fights that really stood out to you guys? Or, like, a specific stand that you really liked? I don't know about a stand that I really... There was... The Yellow Temperance seemed cool to me. The one where... Or, not Yellow Temperance. What the fuck was the bug one that went inside Joseph's head? Oh, yeah. And started, like, uh, digging around in his brain? Oh, I remember that's what the it was lovers, called. It's, it's the Lovers. The Lovers. That's what it is. Um, that one I found that's really fucking... Dan of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Had a really, like, interesting way of battling. They had to go through, like, a really complex way of defeating it. Uh, meanwhile... I, the thing I especially loved about that one is Jojo knows he can't hit the stand user because that pain will be inflicted upon Joseph. Three times. Yeah, three times as bad. So fucking the stand user is just abusing the shit out of Jojo. And then he sees Jojo writing in a book. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm writing your receipt because everything you're doing to me right now, once this problem's resolved, I'm going to do to you, but so much worse. Yeah. And that's another thing, like, too, because when you're saying that, like, I'm picturing the scene in my head of, like, you know, when he beats the shit up at the end, and then throws the receipt and it lands on him, and yeah. the music plays, like, uh, season three, Stardust Crusaders, has most of the iconic music you record, like, when you hear it, you're, like, the like that's JoJo, most of that is the season three music, yeah. Stardust yeah. Crusaders, because it had such good riffs. Yeah. Uh, as for other iconic battles, I know what my least favorite fucking stand user of that whole thing is, but I'll oh, save- it the doll? No, it was the fucking baby. I hated the baby. <laughs> 
so much for so many reasons, but I'll get into that yeah. in a bit. Do either of you have a favorite stand user or most interesting stand? I also like the Lovers one. I hated the baby. I thought the stand was an interesting concept. Stand was an interesting concept. I hated... So, here's the thing that bugged the shit on me. Because it became more and more of a problem as the season went on. Is, like, the five of them traveling together. Polnareff, Avdol, Kakyoin, and the two Jojos. All of them know that they're going to fight Dio. And that Dio has sent assassins in the form of stand users to defeat them. Yet, literally any time one of them gets in a fight. Because in order to make the show compelling, it can't be all five of them beating up one guy. Yeah. They mm-hmm. keep sending separating it into like one or two people fighting against this one enemy and they keep coming up with the lamest fucking excuses like later on in the season i remember fucking uh, during the magnetism girl this is much yeah. later she's fighting up against joseph and avdol and fucking kakuin and or not kakuin polnareff and jojo are like talking together polnareff's like man they're just going to get some fucking breakfast without us i hate it so much it's like you know there are assassins after you and people are late to meet with you why is your first thought not Oh, they, they're probably in trouble. We should go check I mean, on to them. To be fair, Polnareff is a complete idiot who creates more problems than solves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that was the thing I hated the most about the baby one is they know that there are assassins after them. They know that there are weird powers. And yet every time someone's like, that person's an assassin or I'm in danger, everyone else is like, ah, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, we're not in any danger in any of the situations that we're the in. The one thing working against Kakuin in that, though, is that it is a baby. It is a baby. But he does also have the fucking evidence of the scar that appeared on his arm while he was asleep that everyone saw him start bleeding while asleep. I, I <laughs> uh, my favorite stand fight specifically has to be the centerfold fight. Because that was just such an amazing fight of mm. them trying to piece together what his power is and how to beat him. Because the fight starts off with... This is probably like the first big event that happens in the storyline. Because Polnareff kind of splits off from him. He's like, I gotta find centerfold. You guys are helping me. And Avdol uh, goes to help him, and they end up fighting whole horse in Centerfold. And Avdol fucking dies. Yeah, he gets shot in the head, which, how they explain this later on about how he doesn't die is beautiful. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, essentially, Polnareff blames himself and goes after uh, Centerfold with Kakuin. And probably one of the coolest fights from the first half of the story happens here. Uh, just figuring out that, like, oh, it's the reflection of stuff and having to close eyes and that just to get him to move to the spot. And at the end, how they end up forcing him to one location where they can kill him. Yeah. Uh, uh, whole horse up to this point it's like centerfold I'm gonna do it. do my thing <laughs> and he pulls out the gun and it's like centerfold's not coming he's like oh in that case and he just fucking runs off yep. which is, brings me to another one of my favorite stand users which is whole horse I don't think his stand is the most impressive his fight scenes aren't always that interesting but just like his whole fucking attitude of like I'm only taking you guys on if I have someone to swarm there are five of you and one of me I need to have someone at my side yeah. to do the fighting well, that, that's the interesting thing about whole horse because whole horse is actually a very strong stand, but the requirements of it means that he really needs someone to work with. And Hillhorse himself even acknowledges like he needs someone allied with him in order to be effective at all. Yeah. Though he does grow a pair later on and actually pulls his gun on Dio, but he doesn't fire. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that fucking moment because Dio's sitting in a chair and Hillhorse is like, what, I'm supposed to kill those fives? If I kill Dio right now, all of my problems are solved and I don't have to fight anyone else. It's like, I kind of love the logic of Hillhorse right there. It's like, he can do a one-on-one fight, which he'll probably lose, or a 1v5 fight, which he'll definitely lose. I like his respect of, like, thinking he can take mm. on Dio, even though he clearly can't. Yeah, and, and Whole Horse even explains, like, I'm on the side that wins. He doesn't yes. really care much for Dio's plan or JoJo's thing. He just, he's on the side that wins. He wants to survive. Yeah, uh, and 
So the centerfold fight happens, whole horse kind of disappears for like the rest of this half of the story, and they keep working their way towards. They have the death fight, which you're talking about, which essentially the baby that whenever they fall asleep, it can do things, and he almost accidentally kills everyone, including himself on the plane. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I like the resolution of this one too because uh, the fight that happens in the other world is actually pretty cool with uh, Kakuin figuring out all the, like this sh- really shows how intelligent Kakuin is. Mm. On yeah. The team. Like. The way Kakuin solves it is fucking brilliant in that he, like, summons his stand and then goes to attack the baby, knowing that they'll knock him unconscious, but he knows that he can't summon his stand while asleep, so the only way to have his stand in that world is to be knocked unconscious while he has his stand already summoned. So, like, knowing that he won't be able to kill the baby in the real world, but knowing that they'll knock him unconscious with his stand, I think it's a great sign of Kakuin's brilliance, which comes up later, because Kakuin is the one who figures out Dio's power at the end, Mm. And so, like, giving us these little snippets of Kakuin, like, solving shit by thinking it through is really helpful to the story. Yeah, he's 100% the brains of the operation. Uh, more on, like, a calculating sense, kind of like how Joseph was, but yes. he doesn't seem to have anymore. Uh, where Adelov is kind of like their, like, knowledge on how stands work and what... He's the one who usually figures out what the stands can do most of the time. Uh, limit-wise, not necessarily their main function. Uh, Joe Taro just bluffs his way through everything. Polnareff, I think, might actually be the best fighter on the team. Yeah, I can buy that. And then we have Joseph. Yes. Still a great character, but yeah, I feel like he plays almost 100% a supportive role through most of the story. Yeah. Well, his stand isn't combat-oriented in the slightest. Oh, yeah, but he's still a good fighter and knows Haman. True. Too bad that doesn't work out for him all that much. Yeah. And then uh, after this, this is where they end up in- inter- interacting with, I think, the High Priestess of High- uh, judgment. No, because uh, when they do the fight here, with, I'm, I'm going back to the centerfold one after oh, okay. the woman who puts the button, uh, Joda's arm starts trying to kill him with it, and he actually mm. uses Haman in this fight to try to do it something, but it doesn't work too well. Yeah. So instead, he dunks her into some tar and breaks her that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, after uh, the fight we're talking about later, it goes to the judgment, which is the town where it's Enya, which is actually centerfold's mother, who uh, her stand power is very interesting. Yeah, essentially the moment someone has an open wound anywhere on their body, she can go... Specifically caused by one of her infections. Well, no, No, because she she... cut someone with scissors in order to create the hole so then she can use her power to travel through that. Yeah, because her stand is smoke, and so if there's any open wound, she can infiltrate it and puppet them. Yeah. Yeah, she, as infiltrating it, she, like, creates a big fucking, like, hole puncher sized hole through their body. But yeah, she then uses that to control them. Yeah, the thing I liked about this fight too is because Whole Horse kind of has to team up with Polnareff to, yeah. to win the fight. Because she immediately just tried to murder Whole Horse. I also just love it because one of the things we've been like told about Polnareff throughout the story so far, like one of the few character traits he's given is how of a stickler, how much of a stickler he is for a proper bathroom, and how much he fucking hates it when the bathrooms in different countries make no fucking sense to his civilized mind. <laughs> and then what she ends up doing to him once she has control over his body is trapping him in the bathroom and forcing him to lick the toilet bowl clean. Yeah. Now, an interesting thing about this fight here too is, so uh, Rocky tends to be very transparent on a lot of decisions he makes, uh, especially after the fact. And apparently what he was initially planning on happening here is after the Enya fight, he was planning on having whole horses join the party. I, I kind of get that feeling just because... Whole Horse, like, even during that scene, seems like he's willing to work with them in order to survive. Yeah. Uh, And a scene, or an episode later in the second half of the arc, 
just kind of feels thrown in there just because. Yeah, because the, the whole concept with whole horses, uh, he'll do whatever it takes to survive. And considering at this point, Anya's kind of like the big advisor to Dio. So if she's turned on him, he can also assume that Dio is also going to be against yeah. him at this point. So the original concept was going to be he would join the party and travel with them for the rest of the story. What ha- would be his fate in the end, couldn't say. But yeah. with the next we see of him after this point, because at this point, there's not really anything left for him. Because he was planning to join them up to this point, and he does, doesn't. Mm-hmm. He shows back up during, I think he teams up with Oingo? Yeah. yeah, Oingo. And they have the last fight that just kind of <laughs> ends. So now that you've kind of brought up Oingo, I want to talk about Oingo. Because it explains, well not explains, but uh, introduces Jojo's other power. So... We know that he has extreme precision and strength and speed uh, in the form of Star Platinum. We also know that just fate fucking loves Jotaro Kujo. <laughs> because Oingo Boingo's whole power is he has essentially a magic comic book that the god of knowledge fills with what's going to happen in the future. And whatever's displayed in the comic book is guaranteed to happen in the future. And... We see multiple instances of this working perfectly, and where he's, like he paired up with his brother Boingo, whose stand power lets him transform himself. Yes, but we see multiple instances of this working, like whole horses shown kicking a woman in the neck, and then she gives him all of his jewelry. And whole horses like that's crazy. I would never kick a woman in the neck. I love women. I have women all around the world who I'm in relationships with. And then he fucking does it, and she's like, "Oh, there was a scorpion there that would have killed me if you didn't kick me in the neck." Here, have all my jewelry. Or they see, they read in the book that they're going to find a guy whose face looks very punchable. And they punch him and he gives them their wallet. And they're like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's. And they find a guy and they punch him in the face and he gives them their wallet. Um, so we're given like repeated instances of what's put in this book always fucking comes true. And yet we're also given repeated instances of the book displaying Jotaro Kujo dying. And them going through with their plans to try and kill jo- Jotaro Kujo. Following the book fucking exactly. And then it just doesn't work out because things didn't work out the way they had intended. To, to be fair, most of these are people that are supposed to do the uh, the execution of whatever it is, not believing or trusting the book enough. Well, to be yeah. fair, the whole horse one is he trusted the book a little too much, and that's why he fucked well, it up. He didn't confirm anything because he was supposed to shoot exactly at 12, and he didn't confirm because his watch was broken. Yes. Yeah, his watch was a little too fast, and so he didn't shoot at the right time, whereas his brother... Got put into the hospital because he made himself look like Jotaro to yes. escape suspicion. I'm just saying, that book has prophesied Jotaro's death yeah. multiple times and it has never once worked out for Jotaro. Also, I, I like the, the roundabout way with the uh, Oingo uh, whole horse fight that gets around the fact that Jotaro is clearly seen getting shot. Through the, and it's literally the bullets going through the comic getting his face on the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... The rest of the story of them journeying to Egypt, because most of these fights with the god-based uh, stands happen in Egypt. In the second half, when they get to Egypt. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at this point, uh, Ad- uh, Abdul was considered killed by whole horse. They end up working their way all the way to this island that's in the, the Red Sea, I think it is? Yes. Yeah, and they get there, and this is where the judgment fight happens. Not judgment. Uh... I can't remember what he is, but he's a genie stand. Yeah. Which was another really neat fight. Yeah, so in this stand, he reveals himself to be a fucking stand, and he's like, Polnareff, you get three wishes. And he's like, oh, okay, and he makes the wishes. Like, well, come on, Polnareff. Again, Polnareff causes so many goddamn problems in this story. Yeah, but this was a decent growing point for Polnareff. Oh yeah, this was probably a big turning point for Polnareff, realizing that uh, he 
his, his recklessness was causing harm to other people, yeah. and he had to realize that the past of the past is no changing that, so there's only moving forward. He is rewarded with turning out that uh, uh, Abdul was alive the whole time. Yeah. Yep. And also finding out that everyone else kept it completely secret from him because he can't. Well, yeah, because it, it was Jotaro and Joseph both found the body and it's like, oh, he's still alive. Get a medical attention. And Kakumi just figures it out. Yeah. Jotaro, Polnareff is literally the only one who wasn't aware. And he thinks he's the only one who's figured it out when he sees uh, Abdul later on. So he's like, hey guys, guess what? It's Abdul. And they're like, fuck, took you long enough to get back to the show. He's like, why aren't you more impressed about the fact that Abdul's alive? And the thing I like about the fight, too, with the stand, because they end up beating the stand, and they have to find user to defeat him before anything can happen. And we see that Abdul uh, has, like, a little bit of respect seeing how much pain that, like, you know, uh, Prono went through thinking that he was responsible for Abdul's death, that he kind of, like, loosens up and goes to uh, Pelnor's level to deal with the stand user, and they find <laughs> it. It's like, hmm, bugs in there. Oh, I really need to piss. We're best friends, right? Let's piss into the wind together. Yeah, I do love that, because essentially the way he hides himself is he buries himself underground with the straw so that he can still breathe, and they, like, shove bugs and shit down there, and then, yeah, piss down the straw into his mouth. Yeah. It's great. As uh, you do. Also, uh, the re- reveal of why Polaroff lived is because uh, during the fight, a whole horse shot the bull at him. And we find out it would have killed him, but because Centerfold also stabbed him in the back, the natural reaction is go, ah, my back, and lean backwards. So the bullet just grazed his forehead. Yeah. As we all know, that's how fucking getting stabbed in the back works. Yeah, so if Centerfold wasn't there, whole horse would have actually effectively killed somebody on his own. Yeah. In this one instance, having a friend actually made it more difficult for him to kill someone. He's got to have a bit more confidence in himself. But yeah, that was the end of the first half of the arc, and then the second half of the arc starts with a plane coming in for uh, from uh, the Speedwagon Foundation with reinforcements for their team. The, I, I hate yeah. these reinforcements so fucking yeah. much. You're not a fan of Iggy? I hated Iggy with a passion. And just continues to cement the fact in my mind that the creator of JoJo absolutely despises dogs in all shapes and forms. Whenever you see a dog in JoJo's, it's either going to die, is already dead, or is a complete ass and is going to die. Yeah, it's either going to die, already dead, or is the worst fucking dog, or some combination yeah. of those. Because uh, oh. the, re- the reinforcements they get is a very irritable dog with a stand. They couldn't control him or capture him properly so they was like hey let's ship him off to Egypt and help these guys he's the fool and uh, he hates people but he also loves coffee gum he likes chewing people's hair he exists to make fart jokes because he'll climb on people's face to fuck with their hair and then fart in their face while he's chewing their hair he's literally the worst because the first fight he's there for and it's like this is the reason why we need him on our team he's so useful he literally tries to abandon everyone else and let them die to the other stand user while he gets away. It's just yeah. like... Yeah. What? Yeah, and uh, this fight with the stand user that controlled water is actually a pretty interesting one, too, to start off that back half. Well, this is kind of not really the back half, but it's the second half of the first half, I guess. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, this stand user uh, is able to... He's blind, so he's able to track things through his sense and use the water to attack it. Kind of like Toph from Avatar using vibrations in the ground. Uh, Abdul actually almost throws his man for a loop and actually figures it out but he, yeah. he catches on at the last second. Like, why did he move three steps and stop? Wait a second. Uh, but, yeah. 
I like how uh, Jotaro and Iggy are forced to kind of team up for this one, uh, and he uses, he literally throws Iggy at the guy to get the moment to attack him. And like, the voice like, oh no, he's not moving, I lost track of him. Where is he? And then it zooms out, and Jotaro's just standing right behind him. He's like, where did he land? I don't know, and he's not moving, so I can't figure it out. Oh, he's right behind me. <laughs> oh, no. And that's also a fun moment, because he figures out that Joseph's, or that Jotaro's behind him, and he, like, attacks him, and Jotaro knocks the shit out of him. He's like, I gotta give you some respect, bud. This is the first time in this entire story that anyone's knocked my hat off, so props to you, bud. <laughs> my hat that seems to be made of hair, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, but then after that guy, there was Oingo Boingo, which never really were found out by the Jotaro group at all. Yeah. They were never discovered as enemy sand users. They were just an event that happened to them. This was one of the interesting ones that was entirely from the perspective of the villains. Yeah, and it was just like... Because it all happened in the background. Them their way from fighting. Yeah. Happened in the background and they tried their best to kill them, but failed and took themselves out of the running. I mean, that, uh, that happens a lot. Like, uh, there's a few standards that we never actually get any information on. For example, the sun. There's one where he just, he's just yeah. down with the machine and he gets knocked out. Yeah. They never even get his name or anything. Uh, so then after that one, it's Anubis... This one I found kind of interesting because it's... Yeah, it was definitely uh, the, my favorite stand in the... The stand was a sword uh, that its original stand user... Um, was the blacksmith that created it. Which... Hundreds of years ago. And then he kind of imbued his soul into the sword. And so that's how his stand got tied to the sword. And then Dio found it in a museum. He's like, you're not just a sword. You're also a stand. Come with me and kill people. Now, the interesting thing about this is Anubis is one of the stands that break the rules of stands. But it not just breaks one, it breaks two, where it's a physical object. So there's no actual power to the stand, it's just an object, but also it has no user. It forces yeah. itself onto a yeah, user. It possesses See, whoever picks it up to use it, and kind of imbues its knowledge into them, so they fight. It can phase through solid objects as it wants as a sword, and cut through whatever it wants also. And it remembers any technique it comes up against. It's so I... My initial interpretation was a little bit different, how I interpreted the stand. Once they kind of explained it at the end, I was like, okay, I guess I was wrong. But I thought, given that we had already seen the orangutan and had learned that not all stand users are people, I thought it was going to be a really weird thing where the stand user was the sword itself, and the stand was the possession that was taking over people who wielded the sword. <laughs> so while it looks like a human wielding a sword, the humans, the stand user, and the sword's the stand... I, inter I was like, oh, the trick is that it's actually the opposite. And the sword is the stand user, and the person's actually being possessed by the stand. Which is why when they kill the first uh, guy who's holding the sword, it doesn't end the problem because someone else can pick up the sword and just cause problems. Also, Anubis definitely did seem like a big threat at the beginning, and then he just got, like, non-threatening yeah. by the end. So that was one of Polinarf's greatest combat moments yet. Yeah, because we see another ability of his stand to shoot his stand sword. Something he admits he was hiding even from the other members of the his group. Because it's a Just very in case he had to kill them. Yeah. And it's a very last-ditch effort, because once he does it, he can't fight anymore in that yeah. battle. I do enjoy fucking JoJo's technique of, here's how we defeat a sword. Catches the sword and just fucking snaps it in half. I mean, it's still a threat, but it's less of a threat now. I also love, it's another one of those badass moments for fucking JoJo where he's like, the sword moves too fast. I don't know how I can catch it. So he lets himself get fucking stabbed by the sword. And he's like, there. You're going to stab yourself into me? That'll be murder. And he, he's like, oh, that's the point. I'm going to murder you. And he's like, 
I didn't say it would be my death. And he's just <laughs> like, like, now that you're starting stuck in me, you can't move away from my hands anymore. Yeah, he just breaks it down to the handle. Yeah. But yeah, then that begs the question. The sword is in multiple pieces now, but it seems the stand of the sword is only in the tip of the blade. Well, no, because the stand of the sword seems to travel between the different pieces because it's initially in whoever's holding the handle. Yeah. This is when the sword gets snapped in half. When, but when the tip of the blade is picked up and thrown and lands in the river, that's the only part. Yes, but that... initially when the sword's broken in half, that tips on the ground and still whoever holds the sword is possessed mm. by the sand. Oh, so yeah, okay. It's not just at the tip, but then yes, once the rest of the sword's been fucking shattered, it seems like the stand travels to the tip and then someone picks it up and goes to fucking stab Jojo in the back with the tip. And gets tri- uh, trips over the fucking dog, Iggy, and accidentally just fucking yeets it into the river. <laughs> yeets himself into the yeah. river. <laughs> and fucking the stand here is like, oh, sweet, I'm not going to go into the river. I'm going to hit a wall. Oh, shit, I was so nervous I accidentally phased through the wall. I'm still going into the river. Oh, there's a boat. I'll land on the boat and the buddy will be so curious. He'll pick me up and fuck, I landed in a fucking cow. All right, cow, don't freak out. I'm going to possess you. Nope, cow's going to jump into the river. All right, fish, fish, pick me up, fish, 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 grab, grab. You ever feel like Rocky is done with a boss fight and he's just trying to end it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know how to kill a sword, so I'm just going to write it out of the story. And an interesting thing about part two, when you get to the god parts, I feel like the story even, because Kakuin gets injured during the fight with uh, the blind guy and he's in the hospital for most of the rest of the back half. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Jotaro kind of stops being very, like, the focal point, it almost turns into, like, we're following Polnareff for the whole second half. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more Polnareff-centered situations. And also, I do want to point out a little bit of uh, imagery or whatever. Uh, we already mentioned that Kakyoin is the one who figures out what Dio's stand is. He's the one who saw through the stand's ability, and his eyes are what are injured at the beginning of this part of the arc. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, especially considering... I think the enemy stood up realizing, wait a second, Kakuin's only keeps figuring it out, so let's fucking deal with him. Yeah, I like how initially every one of the fucking stand users seems to be either I'm going to pick off whoever separates them from the group, or if they're given like general targets, they're like, no, I got to get rid of Jotaro Kujo. He's the biggest threat of all of them. And then, yes, later on, it's just like, I don't know that Jotaro Kujo is the biggest threat. He'll probably just dirt dirt dur his way through the final fight. If, or, 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 or. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that mm. fight. Uh, now, uh, another big fight that ends up happening around here, too, is, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but the one with the magnets. Yeah. Which we touched on briefly, because she we find out that she can magnetize people, and as it goes on, it gets stronger and stronger. Uh, the goddess Bastet, uh, yeah, the Bastet girl's name is yeah. Mariah. Mariah. Mm. Which, is, I think, she was honestly the biggest JoJo threat that they deal with up to this point, which... It's saying something, but the standards also ramp up from this point on, because uh, her she was effectively defeated herself. Yeah, and she easily would have killed fucking Avdol and fucking Joseph if she didn't let them kind of kill her with her own power. Yeah, because uh, they end up jumping in the air and using the magnetic pull because they're on opposite sides of her to crush her between her thing, and she doesn't die. Yeah, she's like true. Alright, if you let go of your stand ability, we won't kill you. He's like, yeah, right, you're dying anyway. Well, your funeral. Uh, but another interesting thing is, I feel like out of the whole series, 
the last three major fights are pretty... Uh, actually, before we get to the fights, we kind of skipped over a really cool stand uh, user, Darby. Yes. Yes. Because this is pretty much the stand fight that starts off their part in Egypt specifically, uh, where he's a gambler, and if he plays you in a game, if you admit defeat, even internally admit defeat, you lose and he steals your soul. And this is probably the, the highlight of Jotaro's ability to bluff his way through fucking anything, because at first... I'm, I'm upset and not upset at the same time because I feel like, knowing what we know, Joseph should have been the one who beats him. Because being a gambler is 100% Joseph's alleyway. Yeah. yeah. But the gambler beat him through trick because they, uh, I believe it's, what, uh, Polnar first? Uh... Yeah, he plays Polnar first with the, yeah. the uh, yeah. what cat's going to go to the food, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Joseph's like, well, we're going to play the class, the, the game with the cup and the quarters. And Jotaro, Joseph actually cheats to get the last coin in. But then he finds out, oh, well, uh, Darby also knew what was going on and cheated as well by putting chocolate in the glass and using the sun to melt it. So then Joseph's like, well, fine, I'll play you in a just straight poker. No way I can lose this. <laughs> the whole thing, like, it's going back and forth. And Joseph ends up getting, uh, was all of Kakuin... Uh, Abdul and I think does he bet any other souls? Um, Kakuin's Abdul, Abdul's uh, and himself, and himself. But then at the end for his final gamble, it's Holly's soul. He threw in Holly's soul also. Yeah, yes. and Abdul just losing his mind in the back, like, oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> but the best part about this too is the fact that uh, at the beginning of dealing, Jotaro fully shows that he's able to. Shuffle the cards and have, or even have Darby shuffle the cards and name all the cards in order. Memorize all of their positions just because of how precise yeah. Star Platinum is. So they is. get the kid to start dealing for them, and Joe Tower doesn't even look at the cards he's dealt, but then he just keeps getting things like he's smoking a cigarette and he's got a drink, and it just plays fucking mind games with Darby. It's like, did he switch up every single card in his hand? The only thing that can beat me is a royal flush. Does he have a royal flush? Because in Darby's internal struggles, he real he reveals that. He's paid off everyone in the bar. The kid that was playing on the hill that they got to shuffle. Everything is how he ordained it to be for this particular game. Yeah. Uh, I then wanna, he just gives up and dies. I want to jump back just a little bit to the Magnetic Girls fight. Just because of the fact that that was the moment for me when I just kind of decided that Joseph really started to fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> just because the scene on him on the escalator where he like gets stuck down because of magnetism to the escalator and is starting to get sucked into it and he's freaking out because he's going to dive no one stops the escalator. And then he just starts shouting, Oh God, oh God, I'm going to die, oh God! And then Abdel pushes the button to stop it. And then Jotaro continues to shout for... Or not Jotaro. Joseph continues to shout for another like 30 seconds to a fucking minute of just like, Ah! I'm going to die! She's killing me! It's just like, Man, you fucking suck! <laughs> I think it's uh, hinting at uh, what we'll see in the future. Yes. Uh, but it, that episode also, ha- or that fight also had a little bit of more insight into Abdal loosening up a bit. He's yeah. like, don't touch any outlets, you'll get uh, affected by her stand too. She's like, uh, I may have already did that. There was one right next to the button that I couldn't help but touch. Yeah. When I touch buttons, I also like to touch uh, electrical outlets right next to them. It makes me feel alive. Uh, so... There's a few more fights we get later on. Uh, I want to skip over one just because I want to kind of talk about a few of them together. So I'm going to skip over to the second Darby fight, which is with Darby's younger brother, the gamer. Yeah. 
Which uh, also is another one of the give up the me moments of yes, 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 no, no, no. Yeah. Because we find that the Darby uh, is able to get so he has a simple similar, answers. He has a similar stand power where to his older brother where if someone... souls and he likes to put them into dolls instead of poker chips. Yeah. But right. he has the added ability where he can look at someone's soul and see if their soul is thinking yes or no. Yeah, it's a simple question. So it's yes, no. Uh, he can also, like, it's binary is what he can do. So mm. it doesn't have to be yes or no's. He can get uh, A or B. Is it, yeah, A or B. A is B. it right or left? Is it up or down? Hmm. But he has to ask the question to get the response in. Jotaro kind of figures this out. So first Kakuin, which, by God, that video game with a racing car thing was very intense for just yeah. playing a race <laughs> yeah. car game. Yeah. Uh, but after that, jo- uh, Jotaro's like, well, I'm going to play you in this baseball game. And then the game just goes horrible for the He's like, what's going on? And it's like, oh, I've never played this game before. He's like, what? He's like, not only have you never played this game before, you've never played any video game before. Yeah. And I just love it because Jotaro's just fucking like at bat swinging trying his best and like he fucking hits a home run and he's like ah I figured out how to hit he's like, and I've, Darby's like what the fuck did you just say to I me? He's like I've mastered how to swing in this game. <laughs> I have been playing this game for years and hoed my crap and you pick it up in five minutes? Did you seriously just fucking say you figured out how to swing the bat? Because how he wins is getting into the heads of his enemies. Yeah, yeah, and like he does the thing where he puts the hat on and it's like oh that you think I'm cheating because I'm looking at your eyes and blah 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 stuff and then he's like, are you cheating? And it's like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, you're cheating. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, uh, what? Do you like, did you have the game? No, 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 no. But you are cheating somehow. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I also love, like, a little bit later on, he realizes he's lost because he hasn't figured it out. So immediately, Kakuin's soul goes back. And he's like, are you going to punch me? He's like, yes, 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 yes. Are you going to punch me with your... To be fair, Jotar says, am I going to use my right hand or my left hand? He's like, right? No, 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 no. Left? No, no, no. Both? Yes, 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 yes. Are you going to do the aura, aura thing? Yes, 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 yes. So that's kind of like the last non-serious fight in the storyline it's like comic relief just before shit gets real because if there's one thing you guys have probably noticed about jojo so far it's when we get to that last section everything ramps up and people start dying yep but there is a little fight that's the fight that happened just before that was a little bit serious between pet shop pet Pet shop shop and and annoying dog iggy now actually this is the fight that turned me around on iggy because you get a little bit more insight. Because the problem with developing Iggy is we have no way of doing it because we don't get any of his thoughts. Yeah. But this introduces his thought process. And I, I wouldn't say Iggy became my favorite character, but I didn't hate him after he was, this. He was redeemed a bit, but well, you, I, you learn I his process didn't like him. Because we find it, essentially, his thought process, I was just minding my own business. I was on top of my... like like, And then this old man just grabs me and threw me into this fight with this vampire. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you know what? From Iggy's perspective, they kind of did fuck him over. But he ends up like... Like becoming a member of the party and actually respect them uh, because of the fight with Pet Shop where he risked his life to save the boy who likes dogs from this insane bird. Yeah. Yeah. And then led the group to the hideout that Dio's at. Yeah, so at this point, the group kind of gets split and uh, it was Kakuin, Joseph, and Jotaro that fight Darby. And then, which I personally think is probably the best fight in the series, is we get Abdal, uh, Abdal uh, Polnareff, and Iggy fighting... Uh, cool ice or vanilla, vanilla ice? Vanilla ice. 100% vanilla ice. Because yeah. this is probably the most intense... Like, even the Dio fight we get at the end is does not match this, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, 100%. So this fight 
really, Polnareff doesn't even get a part in it. His part is saving uh, not Polnareff, uh, Abdul. His yeah. whole part is saving Polnareff and Iggy and dying in the process. Because what uh, Vanilla Ice thought was going to happen was, oh, he would duck and I'd kill the other two. But no, even though Abdul going into this, and, don't save anyone else. Just fight. This is a serious fight. You just fight to survive. Prioritize your own life. But he ends up saving them too. And the fight is just insane. See, the thing I like about that is uh, Abdal saying, like, prioritize your own life. Don't worry about saving anyone else. I kind of get the feeling like he had already decided internally that he would sacrifice himself to save the others. Like, he had, like, done the mental math and decided that the others would be better suited in the fight against Dio than he would. Yeah. And he knew he couldn't face Dio on his own. And so it kind of comes back to that whole issue on the island when they first got Abdel back after he healed. And he saw that one of Polnareff's wishes was for Abdel to come back and how much Abdel regretted letting... Or Polnareff regretted letting Abdel quote-unquote die. Well, that yeah, and Abdel I think... also, at this point, is still pretty scared of Dio because all yeah. the other characters have had their moment... Well, have or do get a moment that lets them be able to fight against him. Yeah. But at this point, Abdul has already faced him once and did not have that moment. So I think Abdul also realized, if I go against Dio, I'm going to hesitate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Abdul, when he was saying, like, don't worry about saving others, just keep your own life alive. He wasn't saying that as, like, a rule for everyone to follow. He was saying that specifically to the others because he knew if it came down to it, he would sacrifice himself for them because he knew he couldn't go up against Dio. And he needed them to live to go up against Dio. Mm. Yeah, and th- this like emotionally impactful. I think this fight is like the heaviest fight in the whole series because we get the death of Abdul and Iggy. Even if you don't like him, it's still like Iggy sacrifices himself to save Polnareff. Yeah, and another dog that the creator has killed. <laughs> One I'm, per season. I'm keeping track. But this fight had like a lot of cool mechanics because like Vanilla Ice's stand was actually almost fucking impossible <laughs> to deal with. But Polnareff pretty quickly put together, oh, I have to attack him moments before because he can't see without it. Mm-hmm. And ends up blinding him and then he does the whole like circle like, move. It's so powerful to the point where even Dio wouldn't really be able to do anything to him until he comes out of yeah. the stand. And, and I gotta say, I'm pretty mixed on Polnareff. I never really liked him too much as a character. But fucking his finisher in the Vanilla mm-hmm. Ice fight is so goddamn good where he just knocks him back into the sunlight. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I was a little bit torn on Polnareff as well. Just because... He seems mostly like a comic relief character. Yeah, he caused most of the problems in most of the storyline. But, like, yes, this fight, I was like, yes. I'm still not a fan of fucking Iggy, even though his fight's up to this point. But Polnareff in that fight, I was like, no, I'm, I'm on board with Polnareff as a character now. Yeah. He has earned my respect. And then uh, Polnareff is the first person to encounter Dio. And th- this scene, think, because when you know what Dio's power is, yes. and you think back on it, it's like, Dio was literally just fucking with Polnareff for no like other reason than I can yeah. assume. He found it humorous, because... You have to think about it, because it wasn't just power pushing it backwards. Dio was freezing time, and within eight seconds, he was rushing to move uh, Polnareff back a few steps, getting back to his spot in unfreezing time to make it look like nothing was happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's likely, a little bit likelier that he was sending his fucking stand to move Polnareff down a step than him running down the no, stairs. I, and running I like back. picturing Dio yes, running down the stairs to move him back and then running back. Don't forget, his stand is very similar to Jotaro's where they can't move far from the body. But he does know it can go, we later find out it can go up to 10 meters uh, away, so I still think it could move him down the stairs. But yes, I do much prefer the mental image of Dio running down the stairs to move him. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more likely that what happened was the stand was doing the movement, but I prefer to think of it as Dio. Yeah, and this scene here with the stairs also like cements like my opinion on Polnareff. 
Because, like, the way it's like, oh, if you just back, take a step down, you join my team, blah, blah. And then, like, the very dramatic Polnareff lifting up his foot and putting down, going up the stairs. Like, okay, Polnareff, pretty cool. Well, the best part is Polnareff lifts up his foot, puts it down on a higher stair, and then just like, ah, I see you're backing down. Does that mean you've accepted that you'll work for me because you're afraid? Polnareff's like, what? I could have... I could have sworn I took a step up. Am I so subconsciously afraid of Dio that I'm accidentally stepping down when I mean to step up? No, that can't be the case. I know I'm ready to fight Dio. I feel no fear. Now, the cool thing here to mention, too, is this is another cool thing that the series will do moving forward, where we actually get hints of Dio's powers during the opening credits. Mm. Yes, uh, that was one thing I noticed. Like, I figured out Dio's power a lot before because in the opening credits, you see a couple key details, one of which is... There's just fucking gears everywhere in the opening. Yeah. And when I think gears, I think clockwork. And when I think clockwork, I think time. So I'm assuming there's something time related. Yeah. And then you also see during the opening credits, the fucking face off between Dio and Jotaro where they're walking towards each other. And then Jotaro freezes and Dio just walks past and it's just like, yeah. Well, that, 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 that part is detail, added afterwards. Yeah. That detail they didn't put in until after they expressly came out in the show and yeah, said the, that, oh, okay. that his power Yeah, the opening theme up at that time. point has, that seemed pretty much the same way. Where Joe Taro takes Star Platinum and does a punch, and then you hear a weird sound, and the screen flickers, and then immediately Dio is behind him, and he turns around to punch again. See, my issue is that I don't watch the opening credits every single time. I watch the opening credits on the first episode and the last episode, and then just don't bother with it every other episode, so I just assumed it was there all I would have missed it, because, as I may have mentioned before, I always watch the the opening credits on the first episode, and then the ending credits on the last episode... Just uh, when I was skipping the opening, the intro on this particular episode, I noticed something was different at the end. So I went back and watched that opening. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you might want to reconsider that when you're going through the series now because the Johto, uh, Joe, Joe series openings tend to hint at what the final stand mm-hmm. is going to be. Uh, so essentially, the whole team ends up fighting against Dio at this point. Well, they have the standoff at the stairs and they chase him up to his room because... It's the middle of the day still. And this is their best chance when he can't leave the building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they go and they find his coffin because I don't think Dio actually needs a coffin as a vampire, but I think he just likes the aesthetic because he's a very dramatic person. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. But they end up getting in the switcheroo with the last surviving uh, Jojo stand villain, who, <laughs> it's not even worth mentioning, he's the useless of a character. Yeah. But essentially, he survives just to be like, ah, I'm here. Oh, wait, no, I'm in the coffin now. I'm dead now. Shit. Yeah, the best part is he's opening the coffin, and as he's opening the coffin, he's like, hey, Dio, just so you know, still 100% support you. Only opening the coffin for these fucks, because I know you'll kill them the moment I open the coffin. Like, just so you're clear, still 100% on your side. And then the next thing you know, he's inside the coffin, slowly bleeding out. Yeah, and then they all immediately jump out the window, because they know, oh, there's he's gonna kill us if we stay here and then the chase through the city begins where Dio's hunting them down Kakuin just wants not Kakuin uh, Polnareff just wants to fight him mm-hmm. but the other's like no we have to outrun him and figure out what's going on and get close if to if we don't game. understand his stand there's no way we can yeah. win in a fight he's still a vampire so the sunlight will kill him yeah so they split into the two groups uh, Joseph and Kakuin go just oh yeah sorry Joseph yeah they get a tru- uh, truck and they start running away yeah. and, and then Jotaro Polnareff. and Polnareff they go motorcycles. Yeah. It, not even like they meant to go as a team. It was just like Joseph and uh, Kakuin were just like, we can't trust this fuck well, yeah. on his own. Jotaro, Jotaro go with like, him and make sure he doesn't die on his own. Yeah. So the this is where uh, a lot of the saddest moment for a lot of people happened. So after running, they figure out some details of how his power is working. And Kakuin has a theory and he wants to test it out. So 
they kind of have a standoff on a rooftop. And Kaku, we find out, his last ability that we find out, where he can kind of stretch out uh, Hairfan Green to just cover an area, and it activates uh, Emerald Splash when broken. And he's like, come on, Dio, you can't beat me, I got you surrounded. Yeah, you're surrounded in tw- uh, by 20 meters in all directions, and we've only seen your stand manifest at a range of 10 meters, so I'm completely safe, and this can't go badly for me. Yeah, so what ends up happening is immediately after, Kakuin is got a hole in his chest and he gets slammed back into a water tower. And he's like, wait a second, he broke every single one of my things instantaneously. There was no delay or super speed, it was instant. Which means there can only be one thing, but I can't talk because my lungs are full of blood. So he ends up shooting his last uh, Emerald Splash at a clock to pass on a message to Joseph and hopefully that he can solve it. To be fair, I think this is the first Emerald Splash in a really long time that hits its fucking mark. That's true. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, Joseph notices not only did he target the clock, which he thinks is weird. But he's like, Kakuin wouldn't miss. He's like, yeah. well, Kakuin would miss. But yeah. he hit the clock. Dio specifically calls out the fact that in his last ditch effort, he fired a shot and shot so fucking wide he hit the clock. What a ridiculous thing. Meanwhile, Joseph's like, he wouldn't miss. He has to have been targeting the clock for some reason. Not only was he targeting the clock, he seems to have been specifically targeting the clock hands. Which would stop the clock. Oh my god, he stops time! That's fucking <laughs> Joseph's logical leap. Yeah, so then it's Joseph trying to get to the rest of the group to tell them while Dio's chasing him down. He manages to get it to Jotaro just as he gets caught. And Dio drains all of his blood. And then we get Spirit Joseph well, indicating that he's dead. Well, drains some of his blood at first. Oh yeah, he drains a little bit, but then he just like... Uh, yeah, oh that, no, he doesn't actually manage. He doesn't actually manage to drain any of Joseph's blood at first. Right, yeah. He gets interrupted because at the time when he kills Joseph, oh yeah, he, he throws the knife into uh, his heart Joseph. or his chest, and then he collapses. And as he would go to do that, this is the moment when we get the classic meme of Jotaro walking towards him from across the street. And he's like, Joseph literally just told you how my power works and told you to stay far mm-hmm. away from me. You're walking closer to me, and we get the classic line of. I have to walk closer to you if I'm going to kick the shit out of you. It's like, all right, fuck it, let's do this. By all means, come as close as you like. Oh, come as close as you like. The best part is fucking Jotaro at this point is like, well, fun to notice how you're the world uh, stand. Behaves in a very similar manner to Star Platinum. Like, suspiciously well, similar to Star Platinum. The fight ends up taking them through the city quite a bit at this point, and they start mm. flying. But that's a whole different thing. To, yeah. Like, don't even worry about it. But the thing I like about this is because when... Jotaro is fighting him. The whole thing is like, well, stands can't touch people. They can touch other stands. And Jotaro's stand is very particular about this. But he stops his own heart with Star Platinum and then puts it back into use with Star Platinum. But yeah, so Dio stops time and he's going in for the killing blow on Jotaro. And then he notices Jotaro's hand twitch and he's like, oh, can he actually move? The, uh, he, these he, stands- he went in for the killing blow on uh, Polnareff. Because oh no, this is beforehand. Yeah. The, like, the very first time he sees Jotaro's hand twitch, and he's like, shit, can Jotaro actually right, move yeah. in this stops time world as well? It, are our powers that similar? And so he like backs off and doesn't actually attack him in that time. And then he like questions, he's like, did you see me there? And Jotaro's like, what the fuck are you talking See you? Nothing happens. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I gotta be careful about this. I gotta check this out, do a bit more investigation. <laughs> so essentially, once again, Jotaro has bluffed his way into the mind of the villain. <laughs> yeah. And so fucking, he even does like a fucking double bluff because he attaches a magnet to his own shirt cuff as well as to fucking Dio. And so Dio goes in, stops stopping again, gets close, sees his hand twitching, and he's like, oh, there's a magnet. 
He just wanted me to think he could move during stop time to scare me. Time to go for the killing blow. And then Jotaro fucking jumps up and socks him in the yeah. stomach. <laughs> it's like, no, it was a double bluff. He wanted me to think that he wanted me to think that he could move and well, stop to time. to be fair, I believe Jotaro explains it was he didn't know if it would work. But the magnet was to see if he could feel it. And then when he felt it, he tried to do something and it worked. And he yeah. could get like a second yeah. of action. Yeah, so now fucking Dio's got to be real fucking careful because Jotaro can start moving during stop time, but he doesn't know exactly what uh, yeah, he can Jotaro's start moving point, But he's fully observant of what happens. Yeah, so even though he can't move, he is aware, which Dio notices because as he starts stopping time and moving around, Jotaro's eyes follow him as he comes out of the Yeah, time and that's stop. when uh, Dio realizing he can't get close to Jotaro, which is the funny flip of things, he just throws a bunch of knives at him, and yeah. then he can't stop all of them because they were tiered. So that's when he ends up doing the thing of, well, I gotta trick him to come close enough, so he stops his heart with Star Platinum, and then starts pumping it again. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. We even get the, like, fun moment of he gets stabbed by a bunch of knives, and he's like, thank god I stuffed my clothes full of fucking magazines. He's like, why'd you do that, Jojo? Why'd you stuff your clothes full of magazines? Did you think Dio's power was knives? Because, I mean, it kind of is, but it's weird that you thought that was his power. I like to think of the scene where he's going around shop to shop trying to find actual armor, and it's like, you, you don't got anything? Uh, fuck, I'll take all those magazines. Yeah, I like him going up to a newsstand, just like, do you got a plate, man? They're like, no, we're a fucking just. I'll take every magazine you have. But yeah, he stops. So first of all, he stands super still so Dio can't tell if he's alive. Then he holds his breath because Dio's listening to see if he's breathing. He's like, well, there's not one thing he can't fake. Gotta listen to see if his heart's beating. And then Star Platinum grabs his heart and stops his heart from beating. Yeah. And he fucking dies for a second. And then Star Platinum massages his heart back into beating. It was a very Matrix scene in that he had a hand manifesting inside mm -hmm. his chest, yeah. massaging his heart into beating. Yeah, but Jotaro doesn't end up getting the uh, sneak attack in on him. And Dio is severely beaten. He has to try to escape. So it's another chase through the city again. But it goes back to Joseph, where, as I mentioned, he drains his blood. Yeah. And we see, we literally see Joseph die and his spirit go to the other world. Just like Polnareff and Iggy did in the uh, Vanilla Ooh. Ice Fight. Abdul. Yeah. Uh, Abdul, yeah. It should have been Polnareff. It should have been. <laughs> it should have been Polnareff. <laughs> but anyways, uh, this happens. And by drinking Joestar blood, apparently he's reached his new form. And he starts actually getting really stronger with the stage. Well, apparently yeah, now there's Joestar blood pumping through his Joestar body. Yeah, because apparently his head hadn't fully acclimated to the body. Yeah, well, it, it's... A, because a, he didn't have the will Joestar of, blood. Yeah, the will of the Joestars were kind of like... Jonathan was resisting him in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So then he reaches his ultimate form, which is spikier hair. Yeah. Um, and, like, what, 10, 12 seconds? I think at his peak, it's 11 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just a fun moment of him throwing a fucking... Uh, road roller. Sure, a road roller. Steamroller. A steamroller, that's right. A steamroller at fucking JoJo. And then just counting while standing on top of it. Yeah. He's like, nine, ten seconds... 11 seconds. Wait, why can't I move anymore? This feels strange. It's not that I can't move. It's that time's not passing. And then JoJo's like, yeah, I kicked in my power at the nine second mark. So what's it feel like to have a predator moving at you and you can't fucking move? Yeah, that was probably like, that cemented just how great of a character mm -hmm. Jotaro was that like just playing with Dio at this point. Like yeah. Dio has been in charge of this fight pretty much the whole time. But Joe Taro was able to, like, one-up him in such a way. Like, not even Jonathan beat Dio this con conclusively. I even love how, like, Joe Taro 
shatters his fucking legs, throws him on the ground. He's like, I'll tell you what. I could kill you right now, but you look so pitiful there. I'm going to wait for you to heal and stand back up. And we'll go to blows one last fucking time. Because I want to really, truly defeat you. Yeah, jo- Jotaro doesn't just beat him mentally. He beats him physically at the end, too. Yeah. And then fucking, yeah, he defeats Dio. And then he's standing over his lifeless corpse. And he's like, you made one fucking mistake there, Dio. You made me mad. How do you feel about that decision now? <laughs> yeah, so we end up finding out that Star Platinum was pretty much the exact same as the world, which I guess makes sense when you think about it, but then also at the same time, why did Joseph not get that power? Or Holly? Yeah. I mean, it seems well, like Holly Joseph got... and Holly got similar powers. Yeah, they both had, like, had the thorns. With the thorns. And then Jotaro and Jonathan. So maybe it's, like, indicating that they were, like, very similar in will. So yeah. is Holly, like, the massive trickster that we didn't expect? Well, maybe. She certainly seems jovial. Fair enough. But he's just like, Don't Jonathan. think you snuck that past us, Matt. We fucking heard it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she's also like, she plays stupid a lot when she's clearly not, because there's the whole thing where it's like, shut up, you bitch. It's like, oh, he called me a bitch. <laughs> well, her, like, talking about how he's a precious little boy who had never heard a fly, and he's like, shut up, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, he's noticing me. So, yes, uh, Dio ends up getting just fucking hammered by uh, Jotaro. We then get a cool moment where, like, Jotaro's spirit has fucking left this room. Joseph's, yeah. Sorry, Joseph's spirit has left this room. He's clearly fucking dead, and then Jotaro's like, Let's bring him and Dio into the same kind of like, why are we doing that? And he's like, I put Dio blood into Joseph's body, and I did this thing a couple of hours ago that I'm going to try again here. I'm going to yeah. pump his heart. We're going to take back what he took from us. We're taking the Joestar blood and putting it back into Joseph's body. Presumably also anyone else who Joe, uh, who Dio has drank blood from so far today. Well, including this that... specifically works because it's been so recent. Yeah, but mm-hmm. he also... Literally just drank the blood from that woman in the shop after his leg got cut off by fucking <laughs> Joseph or Jotaro, but whatever. So they pump the blood back into him. Fucking Jotaro does his heart pumping star platinum technique. And we get a little hint of the old Joseph with this yeah. one. Yeah, that fucking Joseph, the fucking moment where he like pretends to be Dio when he's first resuscitated. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, oh fuck, that's actually pretty yeah, that, badass. That would have been an actual cool That, that was playing fight. into exactly how I thought that was going to go. Yeah, I thought that was going to go that way too. And then Joseph's like, oh no, 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 uh, it was a joke. Fuck, <laughs> Jotaro brings back his fist like, not today, old man. He's like, no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> it's a joke. Just a joke. Take it cool, bro. It's just a joke. <laughs> Your favorite musician, Weird Al. That's him. Dio definitely doesn't know who Weird Al is. Yeah, it's, who did the cover of Beat It called Eat It? And he's like, it was Weird Al. It's like, no one else would know that fucking useless information. It's the old man. Specifically, Dio would have no idea who Weird Al is. Yeah, so then it ends. Yeah. Then they bring out his, Dio's body to burn in the sunlight and we're good. Yep, so uh, that kind of wraps up this arc with Stardust Crusaders, and then we have the three surviving members of the team, which is Polnareff, Joseph, and Jotaro. So do we want to talk about our rankings uh, in the series so far, then? Yeah, so let's start off with JoJo's. Uh, So at this point, we have three JoJo's now. We have Jotaro, Joseph, and Jonathan. And the thing about this is we get all three JoJo's in this arc, so if you want to adjust based on their new interactions, maybe Jonathan did something interesting that you want to move him up or move him down. Uh, Joseph certainly got moved down after this fucking season in my rankings. The, especially in that goddamn fucking scene with the second derby, 
when Jotaro's like playing and Joseph spends the entire fucking time going, no, what are you doing? You can't do, you can't tell him what kind of shot you're going to make. It's like, shut the fuck up, yeah. old man. So, uh, my rankings on the JoJo's after the season, I have, uh, the Jotaro as my highest ranked one. Then I have, uh, Joseph just above Jonathan. Cause I still think his battle tendencies version of himself is better than the Jonathan version enough to outweigh the damn points he gets from this fucking season. Yeah. Um, I'm leaning towards the same way. Jotaro is at the top now. Yep, same. Jonathan, or no, Joseph, Joseph. is in second, and Jonathan is yes. still... So essentially right now, uh, every moving forward, it's just been a better Jojo. Yeah, the Jojo gets better each time, from what we can tell. Okay, uh... So, for this one, we have, then, let's go into the villain. Yeah, yeah, let's skip yeah. over the Joe Bro for a second, because that's going to be another discussion. Yeah. Uh, so, Dio, uh, as opposed to Dio Brando from season one. Yeah, so this one's referred to as just purely Dio, whereas arc one is usually called Dio Brando. If you want to mix them together when we put the ranking, you can, but I put them as three separates yeah. for all of them. I have the two Dios ranked separately. Yeah. Uh, the way I kind of rank my villains is more so based on who I think represents a greater threat to the world and who makes a more compelling villain in that way. So in that sense, I definitely have Dio as my highest ranked villain because I think if it weren't for fucking Jotaro, his world power easily could allow him to control the world. Like, the fact, like, him discussing, like, it could get to the point where I could be under or have time stop for an hour and fuck with the world during that time. Fucking horrifying thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have him. I still have cars ranked just slightly above Dio Brando. Uh, just because of the fact that as a simple vampire, I didn't find him to be the most threatening of villains. Yeah, and uh, again, similar thought process. The new Dio that we have, sure, he's still shoehorned from his previous role as villain into villain here, but he more fits the villain role in this arc. Oh yeah, definitely. And... Uh- yeah, just the whole threat that he poses, as opposed to, uh, sure, Kars was the villain, but from his perspective, he was just trying to make himself perfect. Yeah. Dio fully accepts that he's the villain of the yeah. story. And that he's perfect. Yes. But yeah, Dio is definitely my high-ranked villain. Uh, like you guys, I, I'm reversed, though, on the other ones, just like last time. I have Dio Brando as second, and then Kars. Like, Kars, I do... Definitely big threat to the planet. It's just I didn't find him as compelling as Dio has been up to this point. That's fair. Uh, uh, so let's get into arc then, I guess. Yeah, the plot of the arc. I I wasn't as big of a fan of the plot of this arc just because it did kind of break down into sort of a monster of the yeah, week. It was very situation. formulaic. Yeah, uh, like, for me, Battle Tendency is still number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still have Battle Tendency as number one. I have Phantom Blood slightly above Stardust Crusaders just because of the fact that that one still had like a compelling story and had plot developments. Whereas this one was just, we fight this guy in this area and now we go to this area and fight this guy. Yeah. It felt a little bit too formulaic for yeah. me. I'd put uh, Battle Tendon or uh, Stardust Crusaders over the Phantom Blood just because of all the new concepts with the stands and how varied their abilities were. Yeah, I do as well. I have Stardust as second uh, because Phantom Blood, it, it was good, but it wasn't very much. Whereas Stardust, even though it has those very formatic things, there's a lot of really cool stuff that does happen, which, compared to it, I think if you take all the cool stuff from Stardust and put it against Phantom Blood, there's more content there. Fair. Yeah. 
Uh, do we want to talk about the Joe Bro now? So the one with the Joe Bro gets a little interesting here because up to this point, it's pretty straightforward who the Joe Bro is. But in this one, there's a debate because most people would consider Kakuin to be the Joe Bro. Though some people have made a valid argument that Polnareff fits all the requirements and he's more of the Joe Bro in the back half. That's fair. So I uh, feel like for this, the only way to do it fair would be you can pick one person as your Joe Bro in the concept and you put the ranking on that character. That's fair. So we could possibly have different Joe Bros for part three. So I personally, I feel that Kakuin fits the role of the Joe Bro a little bit better. He is the literal first villain that they fight, and he ends up joining their side. Um, he does kind of get written out of the story a little bit later on, uh, but that's kind of a necessary thing to happen where they have so many heroes and they can't have them all fighting at the same time. Can't have Kakuin solving all the problems. They need to write heroes out of the situation. So between that and the fact that Kakuin actually dies and Polnareff doesn't, and I feel one of the defining characteristics of a Jobro is the fact that he fucking dies at the end yeah. to motivate the Jobro, uh, the Jojo. I put Kakuin as yeah. my Jobro. I also agree with that, and the fact that Kakuin, well, his deduction of Dio's stand power is part of the reason why they were able to pull out on top in the end anyway. And also the fact that uh, they didn't really like Polnareff all that much, so he wasn't that much of a bro, per se. They respected him at the end. <laughs> Polnareff was there. He was He more... was kind of the butt of a lot of their fucking yeah. jokes. Yeah. So, for my rankings for Joe Bros, I have Kakuin as number one, then I have Speedwagon, and then I have Season. Yeah, I yeah. I actually have a tie between Kakuin and Speedwagon, just because of the fact that Speedwagon is a huge bro to the entire family, whereas Kakuin literally solves every problem he's presented <laughs> with. So... I, I couldn't choose between the two of them, but then I do have uh, Zeppeli as the third. I'd put Kakuin before Speedwagon, because, uh, or higher up than Speedwagon, because Speedwagon didn't die in the line of duty saving the JoJo's or helping the JoJo's. He died, sure, but just of old age. So he doesn't fit exactly. I mean, he did still 100% motivate uh, oh, yeah. Joseph to fight against the villain. Yeah. Yeah, and he was a huge help to the Joe Star family. I um, can't... Even the Speedwagon Foundation is a big part of this arc as well. Yeah. Can't fucking wait for all these rankings to get so much more complicated as we start introducing more and more arcs. And even the discussion of who the fuck the Joe Bro is to get more complicated. Oh, it more. definitely does. Um, Alright, so overall, do you guys have rankings between the four or the three arcs so far? I compiled my scores because I gave everything a score out of five. Mm. So I can tell you what my overall ranking is based on compiling the scores. So I have Stardust Crusaders currently as my favorite out of the three arcs. Battle Tendencies a half a point behind. And then Phantom Blood is my third favorite of the three arcs. Yeah, I think I come to that because uh, if we look at my list, Jotaro, Dio, and Kakuin are my n number ones on all the lists. But the Battle Tendencies is my second favorite. But when you go down the list, uh, Joseph is there listed at... So I guess Cars and Caesar are like, I might be actually tied between Battle Tendencies. Because Cars and Caesar are dragging you down that much? Yeah, and then because uh, Joseph is also, uh, uh, not Joseph, uh, let's see, Dio Brando and Speedwagon are also ranked second on my list. So it's those two categories that are kind of flipped. So essentially everything is just there. I guess because I put Phantom Blood bottom, but Battle Tendencies is top, Battle Tendencies is just edging out by that brief amount. Fair. I think I still prefer Battle Tendencies a little more than uh, Stardust Crusaders, mainly because Stardust Crusaders did drag on a lot longer than Battle Tendencies did. Yeah, Battle Tendencies is my number one for just storylines. Mm -hmm. Fair. 
All right. And well, Phantom Blood's still at the bottom. Yeah, it's, it's good, but it's just so short. It's good, but it just doesn't stand up to the other ones once you start to add more. To Which, it. to be fair, like, of course, Phantom Blood's going to be the thing that's opened up the road for oh, like, yeah. all the stories. You can't have the rest without it. But naturally, a story's going to build upon itself, and that's just going to more detailed making it better. Yeah. Mm. So that was a wimpy bite. It, not super wimpy, because I feel like we talked for over an hour here. A little bit, but... Who knows? Maybe with the editing, we'll be under an hour. It's still the longest JoJo arc, so I was expecting this one to go. So before. hopefully yeah. our future wimpy bites are a little bit wimpier. Fair enough. Well, uh, make sure that if you do have a question you want to go over for the next part, which is going to be Stardust... Not the, start, we already did Stardust. Diamond is Unbreakable. Diamond is Unbreakable, that you send in any of your questions or opinions... If you have any opinions on our rankings or want to provide your own, send us an email to whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Also make sure to put in the header that it's for the JoJo episode so we know to add that in there and make sure it's addressed properly. And make sure to catch us next time whenever the next jo- uh, the next movie bite comes out. <laughs>